0: Hello, and welcome to Listed, a Forbes podcast about people, money, and power. I'm your co-host, Maggie McGrath.
1: And I'm your other co-host, Abe Brown.
0: We're kicking off this first episode of 2020 with an entrepreneur in studio. From the 30 Under 30 list, we have Jesse Zhang. One, two, three, four.
1: One, two, three, four. Five, six, seven, eight.
0: Happy season two, Abe.
1: Happy season two to you too, Maggie. I'm excited. I'm I'm very excited, especially because I don't just have to listen to you today. We have a special guest in the studio.
0: Well, to be fair, we always have a guest in the studio. Well, this
1: one is extra special because for the first time, we're going to talk to someone who appeared on one of our lists. It, she appeared on the latest 30 under 30 list. Her name is Jessie Zhang. She's the co-founder of Choosy.
0: Choosy is a really interesting company to me, um, among all the under thirty companies this year, because it is a fashion retail startup for people who want to be on trend, like Instagram influencers, very much unlike my fashion challenge self.
1: It's funny how you fess up to that.
0: I mean, I I stick to solid colors, so I don't think my clothing is ever like offensive to anyone's sensibilities. But I hate shopping.
1: Before we get started with Jesse, I want to know, what do you hate shopping for the most? Bathing suits. That was a quick answer.
0: I mean, the lighting in the dressing rooms, it's the worst. It's bad no matter what it's you fine. buy. The but Lighting in dressing rooms like, is always the worst. It's bathing suits, shopping is, I think I've had the same bathing suit for eight years. <laughs> what do you hate the most?
1: I cannot stand wine shopping.
0: That's mind-boggling. It's, like, the best thing to buy. How? How?
1: I I, I just find it so stressful. I, I My parents tell a story about little Abram in the toy aisle, like, obsessively, like, <laughs> going down the aisle, like, pricing out action figures. Like, is this Superman worth it? Maybe maybe, Wolverine is really—maybe that's the one I should buy. And now I find myself literally doing the same thing in the wine store. I'm, you know, maybe, maybe that cab. No, maybe the Merlot. And I just find, like, it's, it's overwhelming. There are so many— choices. I can do okay with French grapes, but Italians might as well be just Klingon. I am so confused. I'm so stressed. But I think I know someone who is making shopping a little less stressful, at least when it comes to women's clothing, is our guest, Jessie Zhang.
0: She is a member of the 2020 class of under 30. And the 30 under 30 is our list of the Six hundred best and brightest young entrepreneurs under the age of thirty. So this year, born nineteen ninety or later. Good
1: lord! I know. Young.
0: Across twenty categories, everything from music, entertainment, food, drink—you name it—we have a list for it. And our guest today was on the retail list.
1: We didn't even have to shop around too much for this wizard of the wardrobe. It's Jesse Zhang.
0: Jesse, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule as an entrepreneur to come into our studio. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Before we get into the story of Choosy, I'm just curious what you've noticed. Uh, Since the Under 30 List came out with your profile in it, have you gotten a lot of attention?
2: Definitely. I think um, it's opened up a lot of press opportunities, so... I went on TV earlier this week and they, the tech team was saying it almost broke the site because when I was on, it was like a few thousand vid- visitors per minute. <laughs> so that was definitely great. Compared
1: That's, to, give us some perspective.
2: Um, compared to like even when we run like a huge sale, it might be maybe a few hundred. Okay. Yeah.
1: All right. I have a challenge for you, Jesse. Give okay. me the 60 second elevator pitch of Choosy.
2: Okay, great. So, as you probably know, women around the world now use this thing called social media. I and do. their favorite celebrities and influencers love to post on there. What Choosy does is we use AI to find out what are the posts with the most buying intent behind the items. And then we actually make the pieces and sell it to the consumer, and all of this happens within a month. It's what I like to call real-time shopping. <laughs>
0: Real-time shopping. And how'd you come up with the idea?
2: So I started my career as an algorithm trader at Citigroup on the FX desk. And then after that, I was in China consulting on a few manufacturing companies really wanting to figure out what's next steps for me. And for me, it's bring my two worlds together, combined with I've always loved posting and sharing about my life on Instagram. So it <laughs> made sense. Just to interject for listeners who aren't familiar,
0: algorithmic trading is basically computerized trading. Um, But Jesse, what I'm hearing is you don't have a degree in fashion design or anything like that. Your background is really more focused on finance and hardcore tech, and you just happen to have an interest in fashion and design.
2: Yeah, I think I've always loved shopping and buying new clothes and shoes, but my official background is much more in economics and then trading my first year out of college.
0: That's so interesting. What did your parents say when you were going from the FX floor to fashion design and starting up a company? (laughs)
2: So my dad usually does not freak out, but, but when I told him I was going to quit my job and I wasn't sure what was next, he actually um, came to New York to try to have dinner with me <laughs> and figure out what was going on.
1: Where do your parents live?
2: Um, my dad was actually in China at the time. so
1: Wait, so he flew across the world to talk you out of this decision right <laughs> and he and you still didn't listen to him
2: well and then it progressively I think became worse because then I moved to China and I was just working in kind of like textile manufacturing and then he was even more confused but ultimately I mean he wrote me one of my first angel checks so he was kind of like this is it it was a thirty thousand dollar check and if it fails after this it's over you gotta get back to something go back to the real world.
1: Yeah. Tell us a little bit about Choosy and how it works.
2: Yeah, definitely. So um, I think a lot of the moment for me where it became like this could be a viable business was that when I started seeing a lot of these influencer celebrities like the Jenners or the Hadids posting back in um, 2016, 2017, and then you would see literally hundreds of thousands of women commenting in their posts. And if there were articles of clothing that were popular, all these women would be saying, where's that dress from? Where can I buy it? So to me, there's data out there where retailers don't have to guess their merchandising decisions a year in advance. They could really use data to make smaller, leaner cuts that, you know, it's also good for the world because now you're not going to have to burn billions of dollars in inventory.
1: Super smart point because I remember last year I bought a pair of boots because Snoop Dogg had them on Instagram and then they're (laughs) Taft boots and Taft is another under-30 company. There really is something to the marketplace of Instagram in so many different ways at this point.
0: I remember seeing those boots at your desk. Do you still own them? Of course. So when Shoesie is analyzing what's trending on different social media, do you... How, how how do you pull from the various places, just like in-feed, stories, Twitter, Facebook, et cetera?
2: Yeah, so we mostly um, pull and store the images and then as well as the comments, so what people are saying. So when it comes to the comments, we use um, mostly natural language processing to see how much buying intent is there in these comments per each post. And then from the post itself, we use computer vision to identify um, attributes, not only is it a dress, is it a skirt, is it a shirt, which is currently out of the box, and everyone has that, including Google and Amazon. But what we do that's a layer deeper that we've trained the machine in-house to do is to actually say, is this a deep V cut? Is this a leopard print? Um, And then over time, do we see statistical significance that this is a trend and we should lean into this?
0: Oh, that's interesting. So, and then do you have a set of influencers that you're focusing on, or are you canvassing all of... Instagram, like including people like me?
2: We focus on a um, sector of influencers and celebrities that we feel like is very influential in the fashion space. And then we actually have an algorithm that uses them as a seed pool to then increase um, kind of like that pool that we follow. So are both of them following, are person A and B following person C? And should we be following person C?
0: My God, it's like a beautiful mind, but for retail and Instagram and fashion in 2020. So let's say Kim Kardashian puts on an outfit, posts that outfit to Instagram, the likes come pouring in. It is January first. When can I buy that on Shoesy?
2: I mean, I think if we had very strong conviction behind that piece, we could probably put it up in two to three weeks. Wow. Put it up
1: on the site. Yeah. And then it will be in my home.
2: Depends on if you want to pay for two day shipping. (laughs) Otherwise, we offer free ground shipping. Okay. That's pretty quick.
1: As far as I know about the even the fastest, the Zara's, HM's, the month long product cycle that you're talking about is as fast as them, faster. Can you give us some perspective on that?
2: Yeah, for sure. I think um, when I was starting the company, I spent a really long time, like maybe three months in China, trying to poach our head of supply chain, who used to run supply chain for um, another publicly traded Chinese fast fashion retailer. And I would say that was one of the most instrumental hires. So he has a network of about 300 factories in the region. And I would say at this point, we've only tapped 10% of them. And what that really allows us to do is Not only we have direct relationships with these factories, so we know exactly what their capacity is like, working conditions, et cetera, but we're also able to bring a personal touch to that relationship, which I think a lot of other companies don't have. I think it's very rare that a company, certainly at our stage, has a team in the ground in China.
1: You've accomplished something very impressive at a very young age. How has being a young entrepreneur done you a favor and how has it been a roadblock?
2: I'm not sure if I had like many experiences where it was a huge favor. I think it was definitely very challenging to overcome a lot of things. Like when you're, you know, trying to fundraise. We've raised a bit over ten million dollars to date. I think congratulations. It's been, thank you. It's been about a year and a half. Or when you're trying to hire the best talent, because I think us internally we love to hire talent that's better than ourselves. And oftentimes they're a bit older. They might have a wife, maybe children. (laughs) And you're asking them to join a startup where, especially in the very beginning, we didn't even have a name. You
0: probably heard a lot of naysayers. You had your father try to talk you out of this venture in the beginning. Take us through some of those earlier stumbles. Um, What happened and how did you overcome them?
2: Yeah, for sure. I think um, a lot of the very, very earliest was getting people to say yes, right? Once the first yes comes in, then everyone joins them. <laughs> it's what tends to happen an adventure. But for the longest time, we're just like hearing no's everywhere. And that even is the case today when we go out and fundraise. The first conversations are the hardest. But I think my biggest win in starting to really feel the momentum was actually convincing both of my co-founders to join, who actually I both met on the trading floor at Citigroup. So one of them has more of like a machine learning, um, data chops background, and then the other um, did kind of more restructuring and intense investment banking afterwards so I think then after I convinced them as well as our head of supply chain a lot of um, the investors that said no was like whoa she's just gonna keep going right (laughs) So,
0: (laughs) nevertheless she persisted yeah um, I think you were talking to our producer a while back and telling her a bit about a pivot early on yeah. that happened. And I think that's a, a common yeah. thing that happens to a lot of young entrepreneurs or yeah. even older
2: entrepreneurs, young in their journey. Right. So can you talk to us a little bit about what you had to pivot from? Definitely. So I think our seed round at the time was um, pretty big, especially for a company in the retail space. So we raised $5.4 let led by NEA and We kind of went at it, but then the moment we launched, within the first week, we knew that the unit economics were just not working, and we had to get to the bottom of why. and
1: The unit economics meaning?
2: Right. So say you're selling a dress for $100. It costs you $25 to make it and ship it over to your warehouse. Now you have, you know, about $75 to acquire your customer. Mm -hmm. If you end up spending $90 to acquire a customer, you're losing about $15 for every single customer you acquire, which means you're just bleeding money.
0: So that's the situation. You're losing money. You need to pivot. What, What do you do?
2: So, first, we um, actually shut down the site, which definitely freaked a lot of people out. And then we...
1: I mean, yes, if Forbes.com goes down tomorrow, I will also be freaked out.
2: I think I'll be the most freaked out. (laughs) Um, And then we went into what we today call kind of like the war room, where I actually think a lot of our earliest employees and team members now very fondly recall that, where for kind of like days in and out. We just talked about how do you build a product that makes a lot more sense to customers? What were the challenges that's deterring her from buying it? And I think two of the biggest issues we found were, um, one, our AI was picking up a lot of red carpet looks that weren't essentially very wearable day to day. So we had to... Retrain the algorithms to kind of say not only does it have to have a lot of attention on social media, but it has to be things that's very wearable and viable. And then, secondly, we actually used to operate even more in real time where we sewed the product even before it was cut and sewn, which, you know, in theory is amazing. It's great for the environment. But I think today we live in this era of Amazon where you get everything in a period of two days. Mm-hmm.
1: I've already ordered something since we sat down and it's already here. Yes, exactly. Yeah.
0: I, I, I'm sure it is. That's really interesting, the red carpet point, because yeah. I feel like that's the most, most of what I see are those beautiful dresses and I like them, of course, so that would be a like that your algorithm picks up, right. but I am not buying a $2,000 gown yeah. just for the Forbes, you know, summer party. The
2: Forbes summer party.
1: <laughs> You're invited, for the record. <laughs>
2: Amazing. Thank you.
1: What's the average price point of your clothes, and what do you tend to sell the most of?
2: I would say a dress average price point is about $70. And we sell the most of a combo of dresses and pants, which is pretty surprising for a new retailer.
0: And then how how did you find your audience? Like, People are clicking like and commenting on influencers' pages on Instagram. How do you as Choosy reach those people to say, hey, you can get this look for, you know, $70?
2: Yeah. So I think once we did our pivot, cleaned up the products and made things instantly shoppable, the numbers kind of spoke for themselves. We barely paid for marketing at all. And we actually just had a few months right after we relaunched where we doubled our sales every single month. Um, and I think today we still do pay for Instagram ads. We work with a lot of influencers organically, but I think the product really has to speak for itself. Otherwise, you just can't make the margins work.
0: The influencers
2: are influencing people
0: to use Choosy, which has done its designs based on the influencers. That's that's right. meta.
2: Yeah. <laughs> a lot of times we see our own designs pop up in the drone now, like our system,
0: Oh, that's wild. Yeah. So then do you have to like throw that out because it's already made?
2: I mean, I think we just keep the data set as something we train in the back end to in the future hopefully close the loop even further.
0: I'm curious about your relationship with traditional retail. So you have always been interested in, in fashion, design, and shopping. How How do you interact with that world now as a consumer? Do you buy anything From the store, and do you see the traditional retail world as your competitor, or are they in a way feeding the data that helps Choosy do what it does?
2: Yeah, I think I honestly, my closet is mostly Choosy and then some vintage. I think at times I'll buy from new brands, but mostly direct to consumer brands, just so I can see what they're doing, what the market out there is. But I think I'm not a huge shopper anymore these days, which is probably good for my wallet.
1: <laughs> I'm gonna ask a very personal question, Jesse. When are you gonna start making men's clothes?
2: I definitely hope soon are um the men that work at Choosy have been asking this question <laughs> almost every day.
0: <laughs> Why did you avoid? Why did you focus on women's clothing in the beginning? Was it just a bigger market and more activity? It's
1: probably why they put women's clothes in the first floor of retail stores that have multiple floors.
2: I hate shopping, so (laughs) it feels like a schlep whenever I go. I mean, it's a huge market. It's $3 trillion globally um, per year in women's fashion alone. And I think we're only a little bit over a year old, so we do have to focus our energies
0: What's next for Choosy? How do you want to change fashion broadly?
2: Right. I think this whole model that fashion currently operates on um, of essentially guessing what is going to be trending one year out based on what people saw on the runways. And then if they're wrong, you're stuck with billions of dollars of inventory per company that you then end up having to burn or liquidate. I think it's not sustainable for the world, nor is it very smart from a business sense. So I think Choosy is really the first of its kind to really revolutionize that business model of retail, where hopefully in another five to 10 years, a lot of companies will have copied our business model, and we won't be seeing those headlines of the inventory problem anymore.
0: Jesse, you've put some really innovative ideas into action, and very quickly— What advice would you give to budding entrepreneurs who also want to launch big ideas?
2: For sure. So I actually think the biggest thing that made Choosy the success it is today was the fact that I was able to really convince my two co-founders to start the journey with me. So I think that became the huge transition from when I was just selling clothes out of my apartment to raising some serious venture money and building a brand. Well, people say you shouldn't hire friends, but I think you should hire your smartest friends
1: because really? you can't yeah. do it alone. Maggie, I've got a business idea.
2: <laughs> Go away. And I think the rejected, best, yeah, the best smart friends are actually ones from your workplace because you know exactly how they handle different types of professional situations.
0: That wow, a contrarian piece of advice. I have yeah. to say, whatever
1: happened to never do business with friends?
0: I mean, if they're your work friends, <laughs> you're technically already working together. Well, th- that's a good point. I think uh, there is a difference between hiring someone you worked well with at City versus hiring someone you went to kindergarten with out right, of like pure sure. loyalty. And yeah. I think it's those loyalty moments, yeah. you know, because we hung out in diapers together. That's that's where the real trouble can come in. Yeah, you want someone yeah. you
1: were in the war room with.
0: Yes. Okay. So maybe mm. I won't tell you to go away, but you I just still... did.
1: I'm still insulted.
0: Okay. Well, I, I do apologize.
1: Should we go to segments? Let's segments. do it.
0: I love this one. It's a version of something that we asked you on the under thirty questionnaire that you got. Um,
1: this is a new segment. This All is a props, new segment. Mags.
0: Uh, new well, I'm stealing it from the under thirty questionnaire. All
1: good ideas <laughs> are stolen.
0: Uh, we Like to ask our under 30s lots of things, as you know, to assess viability for the list and also to get a sense of who they are as a person. So ride or die. Who are the people or things you can't live without and why? I guess let's start with people.
2: I wanted to start with my husky. Oh, (laughs) Oh,
0: no, dogs. Dogs are so important. Oh, my God. But
1: but are they a people or a thing?
0: They're
2: family, Abe. Dogs are family.
1: I see. What's your husky's name?
2: His name is Archer, and he comes to work with me every day.
1: So are you allowing dogs and babies now at Tuesday offices?
2: Dogs every day, babies not every day. (laughs) 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 Oh, I love that
0: policy. That's my favorite. Okay, so Archer is your ride or die. And what about like what app or piece of technology do you find that you can't live without?
2: I actually think that Slack has done an amazing job at keeping everyone organized and this idea of, like, kind of seamlessly and casually integrating work with um, sort of, like, everyday tasks. Hear that, Abe? Hear how nice Slack can be?
1: Yeah, I'm still totally unconvinced.
0: Mm, All right. So you can live without it. But what's your ride or die?
1: My ride or die is a plush green armchair in my living room. I need that thing. It's where I go to relax. I, it's where I read my books. It's where I drink my scotch. That's my ride or die.
2: Wow. Wow. That was very deep for a chair. <laughs> it
1: is, uh, that chair lo- looks brand new. It's about 15 years old. It's also like when people come over to my apartment, it's where they gravitate toward... Um, When my friends come over with their dog, it's where the dog sleeps. So it's it's a good chair.
0: It's a good chair.
1: All right, Mags, I'm curious, who or what is your green armchair right now?
0: Who is my ride or die? I feel like I will offend all the people in my life if I pick just one. What I will say, okay, my ride or die is a group text that I have with five of my girlfriends. Or it's five of us. And... um, We work in many different industries. One um, works at Tesla and finance, and another's a doctor, another's a postdoc studying, like, the biology of lungs. One's a pastor. Anyway, these girls are tremendously accomplished, and we talk about everything on this thread. Like, one was buying a car, so we were going back and forth on the unit economics and brand value, and does it matter where the manufacturer is? And then someone else just had a baby, so we've been talking to her over the group text try not to bother her but to check in and it is we're spread across the country so my ride or die is a group text I think
1: do you have a name for the group text
0: I couldn't figure out how to do
2: that actually I
1: I feel like it was easier on past iPhones but maybe as maybe I'm just technologically illiterate
2: Um, I can help you after (laughs) <laughs> I, I might
0: need that help. I often say I am a boomer in millennial yeah. clothing, so that is it's fitting that an under thirty yeah. would need to help me name my my group text.
1: OK, Jesse. stand back. It's time for friendly fire. This will be a okay. lightning round of, uh, of questions. We've, we've been very professional. We've asked you very thoughtful questions. Now we're just going to throw a lot, a lot of them at you as fast as we possibly can. Okay. Reva, are you ready? Reva, okay, you're nodding to me. Okay, so we're going to have 60 seconds. We're going to ask you as many questions as we can. And go.
0: Silk or satin? Silk.
1: Favorite dessert?
0: Chocolate cake. Comedy or thriller? Thriller.
1: Favorite emoji?
0: A heart. Eat in or dine out? Eat in.
1: Favorite Disney movie? Frozen. I just saw it for the first time. It was great. (laughs) So
2: good.
0: Night owl or early bird? Early bird.
1: Favorite flower?
0: Hmm. Lilies. Sun or snow? Snow.
1: Favorite karaoke song?
0: I hate karaoke. (laughs) (laughs) Podcast or playlist? We're judging you. Playlist. Uh... Same,
2: actually.
1: You can't say that. Good. Favorite sandwich?
2: Um I think a chicken parm. Flannel or floral?
1: Floral. Favorite day of the week.
2: Monday. Leather or lace? Leather.
1: Favorite animal. Dog. And uh we're out of time, but we have one final question for you. Money or power?
2: money. (laughs) (laughs) Spoken like an under 30.
1: Well, we feel much richer for having you here today. Thank you so much for coming in.
0: I'm playing along. Thank you so much, Jesse. Thank
2: you for having me.
0: Abe, this podcast isn't over yet, is it? Why don't you tell us what's next?
1: Why you're so horrified. It's last but not least. A chance to give some love to the other lists out there.
0: Your delivery just got longer over the holiday break.
1: You know what? Whatever it takes to amuse you, Maggie.
0: Am I amused or am I cringing? (laughs) You'll never know.
1: You'll never know. But I have something fun for you. I have from National Geographic, a place that I trust has been doing this kind of list for 130 years. These are the best trips to take this year in 2020. Uh, I will run through this very quickly and I'll just give you some highlights. They suggest going to the National Blue Trail, a 700 mile trek from western Hungary to the northeastern part of that country. Uh, I, that sounds great to me. Might do that. Uh, they've got Fort Kochi, India, the oldest European settlement in India, founded in 1500 by Portuguese settlers. They have the Magdalen Islands in Canada, and I just have three words for you, Maggie: baby harp seals. Aww. Oh. Oh. You see, I who doesn't love baby harp seals? And one other place on this list, Maggie, is a place that has a special area in your heart. It's Philadelphia. They apparently naturally graphic loves it. I love it. You love it. It's your, it's your hometown. Give us an off the beaten path place in Philadelphia well, for people to visit. For
0: the record, I don't want everyone knowing how great Philadelphia is. Like, let's leave it special and not people flooding the streets with
1: yeah, you so know, much selfie for your brotherly sticks. love. For the record, Pats or Geno's for cheesesteaks?
0: Neither. I'm of the opinion that the best cheesesteaks come from your neighborhood pizza place that also does cheesesteaks.
1: Oh. Well, thank you for slapping some cheese whiz onto the end of this segment, Mags.
0: Anytime. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Listed.
1: And thanks very much to Jesse for joining us in studio.
0: If you like the show, please join my whole family in writing a positive review for us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast.
1: Hi, Mrs. McGrath.
0: I'm your co-host, Maggie McGrath, editor of Forbes Women.
1: And I'm your other co-host, Abe Brown. I'm a senior editor at Forbes.
0: Listed is a Spoke Media production.
1: Kieran Meadows is seated right next to me, and so is our producer, Reva Goldberg. Hi, Reva.
0: Our theme song is composed and performed by Will Short.
1: Our production team is Caroline Hamilton, Tyler Norris, John Kastner, and Keith Reynolds of Spoke Media.
0: And thanks to the folks at Forbes who help us choose wisely, Travis Collins, Kyle Kramer, Randall Lane, and Dario Furutan. See you next time.
1: Bye. Should we do something funny? (laughs) Do something
0: funny now. I I, I can't be funny on command.
2: (laughs) That's for sure.
0: I resent that.